My life, um, as I trust that all of you guys have, if I were ranking them, uh, all the lessons that I've learned, I want to share just one of my top five. This is life lessons that, that I've learned, and feel free uh, to take notes on this. Um, this is something, man, a lot of experience on this one particular one. So in my top five uh, lessons learned, uh, one of them is that women really like wedding invitations, okay? Of all, the, of all of the lessons that I've learned in my life, um, I've realized how obsessed women are with wedding invitations. Have you seen this? It's like we get a wedding invitation in the mail, and, and my, you know, my wife instantly goes into like, you know, it, it doesn't go on the fridge immediately, though certainly it will go there, right? Along with many others that we have, and like some from several years ago. But the first is like, oh, look, this is nice parchment. I'm like, I don't even know what parchment is, you know? Oh, look at the font choice and the colors. And like people go to super lengths of creativity now with their wedding invitations. Have you realized this? For, for dudes, like we would be completely fine with a text from the, from the groom that just said, hey, I'm getting married. Are you in? Right? Yes or no? Like we, we would be content with that. But, but women, like they, they love receiving the invitation. They also, uh, I've learned, you know, when you get married, it's one of the first components, right? Like I remember getting engaged to Heidi and one of the first things she said immediately after I do was, so what do you think we should do for our invitations? Like, we just got engaged, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's celebrate this moment. I, I don't care, you know, send people whatever it is. I, it, it's interesting. Now, uh, that said, here, here's my question for you. What is the uh, greatest invitation you've ever received in your life? The greatest invitation. Okay, if you were to think back. Most times it's uh, in an unexpected moment, Right? Uh, maybe it's um, being invited to a party or a shindig that you did not expect to get invited to. Remember that moment? You're like, me? Se- seriously? Uh, okay, right? Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, uh, it was like getting invited to the school dance in general, uh, but, then also, but then also by a particular person. Um, I was invited. I was uh, brand new to town, a seventh grader. And I'll never forget when uh, Crystal Schulte, was her name? Uh, we can edit that off of the uh, internet later. Uh, she was an eighth grader. Uh, she was like already 6'3". I mean, she was like super, super tall. And uh, I remember when she like came over to my locker, right? And she's like, uh, I like didn't even, I barely even knew the girl, you know? She's like, hey, Mark, you want to be my boyfriend? You know? <laughs> and like completely overwhelmed by the invitation, of this, you know, I mean, she was a very beautiful gal and, and certainly, you know, popular. I saw it maybe as a, as a moment to kind of, you know, gain more popularity at the time. I mean, how could a brother say no, you know? And um, so that love um, lasted all of two weeks. But the invitation, <laughs> the invitation was so expected. Like, I, I just had to indulge. Um, we've, been, we've been invited to a lot of things in our life. One of my famous quotes around the office uh, is, is this. Um, Often getting the invite is more valuable than actually uh, showing up. Um, I won't normally put my name next to a quote, but I think this one's pretty solid, right? <laughs> I think this one's pretty solid. Um, <laughs> I gave my birth year there as well for those of you guys who are January 1st of 1980. <laughs> now, um, I think this is a great quote, and actually I, I stand behind it, but... Uh, there is one instance where this philosophy breaks down. One. Just one. And, um, guys, I'm telling you right now, like, I need to pray right now because Exodus chapter 24 is insane. It is beautiful. 
it connects pieces and dots, years worth of history. And we're going to get to see tonight what Moses does with an invitation. And like, it doesn't matter where you're coming from tonight. I just know for every single one of us, you're sitting in that seat because the Lord wants you. So let's, let's pray that God will do a work in here that'll teach us from his word and that this invitation of Moses will not just grab our hearts, but will shake them, will change us that each of us um, could receive what the Lord has for us. So let's pray because I need to pray for focus and to kind of hone some of this energy. All right, we ready? Let's pray. God, please, like only you can, like only you can tonight, uh, reveal uh, the glory of yourself in this place. Uh, Moses got to see uh, certainly a huge piece uh, of your vastness and your glory, and I'm, I'm asking tonight that you would allow us that same treat. Uh, so please, Lord God, teach us, convict us, hone our hearts to you. We love you in your great and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. We're going to get through uh, the entire chapter. Um, so good chance we'll end by tomorrow. And... Um, so I want to start here in verse 1, and we're just going to work through, if you're just joining us, this is what we do. We study God's Word, not um, my uh, thoughts or creativity. We just learn a God's Word together. So here we go, verse, verse 1. Then he, does God, of Exodus chapter 24, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel... And worship from afar. Listen, I'm just, I'm just saying right now, you've gotten some great invitations in your life, some unexpected invitations, but can somebody already, like, how about this invitation? Like, come on up, Moses. Right? Like, I, I want to be with you. I want you to be in my presence. So why don't you go ahead and come on up this mountain? I mean, of all the invitations you could ever receive, of all the RSVPs that you could ever give, This is an unbelievable moment. And here's what we're going to find out. Moses has been in the presence of God before. He's had intimate encounters with the Lord. So now we're going to get to see, based on this invitation, where the previous encounters with God, now desiring in Moses' heart more. Are you guys with me? Because if not, then Moses will not RSVP. He will not show up to the party. He will say, I'm not going. But if the presence of God, if the encounter with God, if hearing God's voice did something in Moses, caused Moses' eyes to open, create something in Moses, an awe, a grandeur, then he will accept this invitation, agree? So let's watch and see what Moses does. Moses alone, verse 2 says, shall come near to the Lord, says God, but the others, okay, the other 72 shall not come near, the other 72 being Aaron, his two sons, and then the 70 elders, and the people shall not come up with him. So God sets up some barriers. Moses gets to come on up. Everyone else gets to go up just, just a little bit. The people are going to stay down at the base of Mount Sinai, but the, uh, the 70 elders, Aaron and his two sons, they're going to stay back a little bit. Now, just for a moment of encouragement, though uh, verse 2 says this, that Moses alone shall come near. Uh, here would be our verse. Um, here, here would be our verse. Believers alone shall come near to the Lord. But the non-believers shall not come near. So I just want to go ahead and just begin right now with the gospel, the good news of the scripture. Amen. And that's that believers through Christ can be brought near to God. Okay? So Moses 
is the only one in this moment that God's like, hey, you come on up all the way to the mountain. And I just want to begin right now with the reality, the truth of the gospel. Through Christ, anyone through Christ can come all the way up. All the way up. There's no halfway. There's no stay at the base. It's deep, intimate encounter with the real one true God who sits on his throne ruling and reigning. We all together, okay? So this is our verse. That's the difference. Moses gets to come on up, but for us, anyone in Christ, the non-believers, those who are distant from the Lord, they will not encounter the reality of God. Only through Christ. Verse 3 says this. Moses came, look at this. (laughs) This is awesome. And told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules. Had to be a fun moment. Well, we've seen all these words and rules. Okay, starting with Exodus, Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, all the way through Exodus 23, a portion of it, we saw the Ten Commandments, okay, and a whole bunch of, as it were, stipulations. So Moses comes down to the people, and he reads them, presumably again, communicates them again to the people, and look what the people say. And all of the people answered with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. I've told you guys all along uh, through this journey of Exodus that the crowd is fickle, right? If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, that's one of the famous quotes from uh, the movie. Pretty solid movie, wouldn't you say, right? The crowd is fickle, brother, uh, the sister of, uh, what's his name, the communist says, right? And they are. The crowd's fickle. You've realized this in your own life. The crowd is constantly fickle. And here, Engulfed in the mob, the enthusiasm of the mob, everyone together unites after the list of rules, after the list of laws, including don't boil your goat in, your, in its mother's milk, all of that, okay? They respond, we got it. Everything that you've said, we will do. Now let's hang on that a little bit and let's just understand what's happening. Everyone's saying, okay, God, sounds good. Everything you said, no problem, we got it. The enthusiastic communal response. Verse 4, and Moses wrote down all of the words of the Lord. This had to be lengthy, right? Moses wrote them down. There's there's three times in Exodus that we see Moses writing. And again, like writing was different then, okay? I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, just like reading some of these uh, chapters has been lengthy. So imagine Moses sitting down and now, you know, penning it, okay? And please see this in verse 4. Come on now, somebody. He rose, what? Early in the morning. I mean, guys, I, I could like call it a night right now. Call it a night. Seriously, I, I, could, I could stop right now, let the word of God speak for itself, and just say, everyone, have a good one, okay? Moses rises early in the morning, and not just because he's seasoned and old, okay? You guys know this. Your grandparents, they get up early, typically, okay? Have you, have you seen this, right? Like my grandparents, as they got older, they started going to bed at 7 and getting up at 2 a.m. I come down after staying at their house, they're already reading the newspaper. Somehow, the newspaper people understand that old people, they, they like get their newspaper earlier than everybody else, right? It's unbelievable. But Moses hasn't gotten up early for that reason, nor has he gotten up early because God commanded. Did we see, did you see Uh, That God commanded, hey, Moses, on this morning you're going to get up early. No. Why does he get up early? Because he cannot wait to accept the invitation. He cannot wait. 
The power of anticipation. Come on, listen. When you were a kid, like think back to the first family vacation that you can remember. Like wherever it was. Branson, hopefully not. Um, Disney maybe, you know, whatever. (laughs) Innsbruck. Wherever your first family vacation. Honestly, as a kid, it didn't matter. But can you imagine and remember when your parents woke you up that morning? I mean, nothing else in the world mattered, did it? There was tremendous anticipation. Why? Because you knew it was going to be awesome. Like, you just believe that. Maybe dad didn't, right? Like, maybe dad was like, oh, here we go, right? 2,000 miles in the road with, you know, kids that can't hold their bladders still, you know. And maybe dad was, was not too excited. But you... The power of anticipation grabbed you because you knew what was to follow was awesome. The old seasoned Moses gets up early because he cannot wait to worship the Lord. The anticipation, he knows that the presence of God is going to produce something awesome. He knows he's going to encounter God. And remember his beginning. I mean, he's had some encounters with God where he straight told God, please, not me. God, you gave me these people. They're your problem, right? Remember these days in Egypt? And now what is he doing? He's getting up early because he cannot wait to be with the Lord. Listen, um, I cannot make that happen in any of you. I can't, like, walk around with a defibrillator. Is that what it's called, the thing that jumps your heart? Right? Have you ever tried one of those when you're not needing it? It's pretty incredible. Just try it on, like, your thigh sometimes, right? It's, I'm just kidding, I've never done that, but it's always been a dream of mine. Um, I can't walk around just carrying a defibrillator, and you can't do it for me. And whenever I see, like, doldrumness in you, whenever you see doldrumness in me or in complacency, we can't, like, just shock the heart. We cannot make it happen. That's why, guys, listen, please, please, please. When you have genuinely encountered the Lord... When you have seen that his word is living and active. When you have sensed and known and tasted grace. When you have experienced God. You know how unbelievable and awesome it is. Unfortunately, how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget how much we need the defibrillator, and we look for that defibrillator in all kinds of other resources, even in Christendom. Hey, here's a nice self-help book. Are you struggling right now? Here, here, just take this self-help book. Are you struggling? You know what's going to be the answer to your problem? Is a nice accountability circle. Not saying anything against literature, Okay, primarily, not saying anything against accountability, not saying anything against, you know, singing or experiencing things in that. I'm just saying, guys, you always have God's word, and in Christ, you always have the spirit. The tools are already yours. You don't have to go out back looking in the toolbox again. They're already yours. The experience, the encounter, God's voice always present and prevalent. Moses gets up early. I mean, arthritis, right? He's got canes, multiple probably, right? And he's getting ready to go up a mountain, right? I mean, this is not an easy task for an old man, but he gets up early in anticipation because he cannot wait to experience and encounter God. 
Do you go to bed at night thinking, I cannot wait for the morning? Or do you go to bed at night and think to yourself, another day at work? Another day of school, another day of financial stress, another day of relational chaos. Or do you go to bed at night thinking to yourself, like, Lamenta- uh, like Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. God, I cannot wait for tomorrow. I cannot wait to again bask in your mercies. You see the difference? Then you jump out of bed pre-alarm because you cannot wait to be with the Lord. So here's what Moses' worship looks like. This gets super interesting. He rose early in the morning and built an altar. So what, he wasn't, it's not just that he's like waking up just to you know, sit in the sunrise. He's going to go to work. Okay? He's going to build an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars uh, representing the 12 tribes of Israel according to those 12 tribes of Israel. So Moses gets up, excited to worship God, builds an altar there, and then look what happens. Verse 5. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So he enveloped and encouraged and uh, empowered the young men to participate in this worship gathering, knowing full well that the generations of God's nation, the Israelites, it was going to be key for the young men to play a part in this, to see this and experience. And look at this verse 6. Things get really interesting. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And here's the moment where, uh, for those of you guys who are brand new, you're like, what in the world kind of cult is this, okay? In, uh, ancient, in the ancient Near East, uh, when you are um, ratifying a covenant, or we could even say in this case an agreement, often in case what would happen is there would be an animal that would be sacrificed. Here's what would happen as that animal would be sliced literally in half, both parts of the animal would be set on each side, and the parties that were going to make the agreement would walk in between them, okay? And then what would happen is the the blood of this animal then would be used symbolically, and the symbol was different based on the religion you were a part of or the God that you serve, but in this case, as Moses takes the blood of the sacrifice... And he puts it in basins, and then he throws it, sprinkles it, spreads it on the altar. The image is is that somehow, mysteriously, this blood is representing the uh, atonement for sin or the releasing of the burden of sin on the Israelites. Now, we're going to see so much more coming in Exodus as the tabernacle is constructed and the instructions for worship, how all of this works. But all of this began at the Passover in Egypt. In Egypt, you remember on one night, the final plague, God said, here's the plan. You're going to write uh, with blood over the doorposts of every Israelite, and I'm going to come on through, and anyone who has the blood of, of the lambs, as it were, over your doorposts, they will be saved. Everyone else, firstborn, will die. And so as Scripture goes on and on and on, we have this unbelievable image after hundreds of years the finality of Jesus the perfect Passover lamb the once for all sacrifice the blood that by one sacrifice means no more animals at all all of this is getting wrapped into this so when Moses takes this blood and he sprinkles it on the altar it's an image of what this blood or what blood in general is going to do 
for sin. And if you're here and you're like, okay, I thought that was weird. Uh, check this out. Then, then, he, um, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. So then he takes and again reads. And they said for the second time the people, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Um, how many husbands in the room? Husbands? Okay, several. Some confused. Here, um, here's, here's what I think is happening here. Here's what I think is happening. Um, husbands, let's just, uh, wives, you guys can kind of zone out. Actually, it'd be preferred if you zoned out at this point. <laughs> husbands, have your wi- has your wife ever like gotten ready to leave town? And your guys are like up in the kitchen. Not that, not that, the, like, not that I have a real life scenario playing in my mind now. But a friend told me once that when their wife was leaving town and, you know, the husband and the wife were in the kitchen, the wife started rattling off all of these things and instructions. And what the husband was doing, I mean, you know, silly husband, crazy, ignorant that he would ever do this. uh, He was just nodding his head and not hearing a word, right? And some of these instructions were critical. Like, okay, so there's two medicines on the counter. One of them will kill our children the other one is Benadryl and will help them sleep forever, right? Like you'll get to sleep until 10. Parents, have you ever done that trick? Of course you haven't. <laughs> Yesterday, right? All these, all these kind of instructions. Uh, men, I'm, I'm guessing maybe once or thrice in your life, you, you've given the head nod and it's gone out, right? Both, both years. The people now for the second time, here's the way I would, here's the way I would say it. Um, next slide. I would say that the people for the second time, they're nodding their head and not the heart. Uh, We'll do whatever, God. And and I'm making this um, observation because of futuristic text, okay? Uh, I know what happens in the story. Maybe some of you do as well. They say they're going to do it all, and let me just go ahead and, you know, spoiler alert, um, they don't, okay? In fact, not even close, right? Can I have a moment with you guys? Is that cool? Can I ask you very specifically, how many of you are nodding the head and not the heart? Um, How many of you, as we sang earlier, were singing lyrics that are up here somewhere but nowhere near here? Um, How many of you feel incredibly robotic? Uh, You've you've lost that anticipation of what God would do or what he would say or how he would bring you to himself. And everything for you, you've reconciled that it's okay just to keep doing the Christian nod of the head. Yes, of course, I know the right answers. Yes, of course, God is good. Yes, and in the heart, completely dead. Uh, This is what the Israelites do, and I'm just encouraging you with this. If you want to live your life nodding the head and not the heart, um, that is not receiving the gospel. Um, the Pharisees attempted this. They knew a lot of things. They had a lot of knowledge. They were wise. But their heart was devoid of Christ. And I just, I just want to share with you that, that if the heart is devoid of Christ, then, then that is just intelligence or knowledge. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 22. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God. Let's say this together. With what? With all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. So the love and the connection with God happens not just with head and not just with heart, but with all of us. Uh, These people are caught up in the enthusiastic communal response. Whatever you say, they're involved in like reverse peer pressure, in good peer pressure that's causing them just to say things that they don't really believe. Let me say it this way. Maybe their intentions are good. Maybe this really is their desire. And I heard a wise person once say that I read in a graduate book or something, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So as well-intentioned as these folks are, uh, good intentions don't lead to Jesus. Thankfully, love and the person of Christ does in and of itself. Now, look at this. Again, if you were weirded out before about the blood throwing on the altar, uh, check this out. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. Let's have a... Right? Let's gather. Let's gather up real quick. Here's my assumption. I'm making some assumptions right now. The Israelites, they're a large nation at this point. So unless he had some massive blood, you know, slingshot thing, um, I think the people in this point are probably Aaron, his sons, and the 70 elders representing the rest. Okay? This is setting up the priestly order which would come to the rest of the nation. So I think what's happening here, and maybe we would just agree in, in the sake of time, like for Moses to sprinkle blood on all of the nation of Israel, which at this point was probably millions, would have taken a long while and a whole lot of sacrifice. Agree? So let's, let's just assume, okay, that he takes this blood and he starts sprinkling it on people. Here's a couple of reasons why this would happen. Uh, the first is the blood would often stay. As you guys know, if you've ever been stained by blood, unless you scrub it off, what happens? Okay, this is like the kid's worst nightmare. They scrape their knee Right? And like for two days later, at least my kids are still saying that they're bleeding out. And, and no, it's a, it's a scab. You know, you're, you're going to be okay. Blood, blood stains. Right? And so as the blood would hit um, the flesh, later as they were walking away from this opportunity to worship, they would see the blood on their flesh and be reminded of the sacrifice and what the sacrifice meant. So that was a piece of it. But just like the altar... Now, the blood on the people would represent this image of what blood could do for sin. So Moses takes it. He starts throwing it on the people and please somebody. Oh, my goodness. Look at what he says. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Can I, let me read it again. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, if you're learned in the scripture a little bit, in the catalog of scripture that's going on in your dome, this verse is all of a sudden like light bulbs everywhere. Because you know, like I know, that in the gospel, this resurfaces. There's only two entire times the whole Old Testament where the blood of the covenant is ever said. One of them is here in Exodus 24, and the other is later, and not even in the same context. But here is its first mention in the New Testament. For this, Jesus said, is 
my blood of the covenant. Somebody which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is one change of word. What is it? My. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Moses said the blood of the covenant. This union between God and man, this promise, this ratification, this alliance, this allegiance. And then Jesus, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, says, this is the blood of my covenant. Now it's my blood in another gospel, in the gospel of uh, Luke, I believe, next slide, verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 20. And likewise, uh, and in the Last Supper, the cup, after they had eat, eaten, the, uh, this was the saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay. I mean, beautiful text. In fact, my assumption is because the other mention of blood of the covenant in the Old Testament is not in this context, is Jesus is quoting Exodus 24. Is that this teaching has uh, invaded the hearts of generation after generation of Israelites. So, listen, as the disciples are sitting around, they've made preparations for the meal and they know the Passover because it's the same year after year after year. There's the same mantra, the same rhythm, the same songs that are read, the same songs that are sung, and then they hear This is the blood of my covenant. Jesus says, I'm the perfect Passover lamb. I'm the savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm everything that you've ever been waiting for. It's here now. Well, remember what verse 8 said. Look back at verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, what? That the who? That the Lord has made with you. Now, real quick. Last week, We saw God's command, do not make covenants with who? With their gods. For every single one of you tonight, here are your options. Next slide. The people could either make a covenant with other gods. They initiate, pursue, make a covenant, allegiance, alliance, or they could accept the covenant that God made with them. Do you guys see the difference? They could either pursue a covenant alliance alliance with the other gods of these pagan religions. They could either do that or they could simply accept the covenant that God was making and instituting and basing it on himself with them. Though there were two parties in this covenant, God makes clear both in the old and the new That the stipulations, the idea, the premise of the covenant is the same. The representation, however, is different. The representation of the covenants is different. In the old covenant, in the Moses covenant, the people are responsible. Under the new covenant, who is? Jesus said this is the blood of what? My covenant. Jesus takes on the sin of the world and now through Christ you can have relationship with this God. You're still responsible for your sin. It's just, has Jesus erased it, taken it upon himself, or will you stand before God, separated from God because of your sin? Do you see the difference? We're still held accountable. It's just who's standing in our place. Who is representing us? Christ or yourself. And if it's yourself, it's not going to go well for you. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Moses, the blood of the covenant. Um, So all of us tonight, um, very similarly, can either pursue and make allegiance with other gods or accept, receive, 
the covenant that God has made through the Son, the powerful reigning ruler, Jesus. Awesome. Now listen, if you thought this chapter is over or hasn't even started getting tasty, please somebody, verse 9, check this out. Check this out. Then Moses and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu, never name your son that, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They went up. So here they go. And look at this. And they saw the God of Israel. I problema for the, for the bilingual, okay? Here's the problem. The problem is in Exodus 33, the scripture says, no man shall, shall see God and what? And live. So do we have a contradiction here? Okay, my Bible says, and they saw the God of Israel. Well, let's keep reading. There was under his feet, as it were, I just think that's funny that the scripture says, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven uh, for clearness. Okay, now, we have to make some assumptions here. Exodus 33 says, uh, anyone who sees God dies. Okay, the fullness of God. Here, we get this image that they're seeing like something under God's feet. And maybe because of the proximity of the mountain, it's possible that what they're seeing is not necessarily the fullness of God, but literally like a piece of him, like the the pavement under his feet, the feet. They, They see him, yes, but the fullness of God, I think we can make that assumption. In verse 11, I love this. Look at this. And he did not lay his hand on the chief man of the people of Israel, which tells us what? That, that they didn't die, okay? They beheld God, and please look at this, and ate and drank. <laughs> why eat now? <laughs> and most of you in your heart are saying, why not? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, the thing I learned in college, okay? I mean, I, I got a degree... And thankfully for all of you, it was in Christian studies, and um, I studied a whole lot. Um, the one thing I learned in college was that um, you can eat whenever you want, right? I remember the first night in the dorm, it was like midnight. I was like looking around, I'm going to order a pizza just because I can. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, however late Papa John's was open till, that's how long we pressed the envelope. Hey, how late are you guys open till? 2 a.m. Cool, I'll call back in a little bit, you know? Because the ability to eat a pizza at 2 a.m., for some reason, that was free, right? That's not what's happening here, okay? Just the analogy breaks down. But here's what is happening. In the ancient Near East, a covenant was ratified, listen, with a meal, okay? We saw this twice in, uh, in Genesis between good old Uncle Laban and Jacob. We also saw it with Abimelech and Isaac. Two treaties that were ratified, and they were ratified over a meal. Maybe you ha- have experienced this. Have you ever had and like come to a treaty, right, in your relationships or friendships or marriage or whatever over a meal? There's something unbelievable that happens around food, right? So they, in this ancient Near East uh, ritual, they have a covenant meal. They ratify this alliance with a meal. Then the Lord, verse 12, said to Moses, look at this, come on. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law of the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Moses, it's time. So Moses rose with his assistant, magically showing up Joshua. Where'd he come from? 
This tripped me up for a long time. I'm like, where does Joshua enter the story? Well, well Joshua goes on to be uh, Moses. Like, I mean, it's his main assistant. And he certainly rises up in leadership and ends up leading the nation for a long time. So, boom, like here entered Joshua into the story. We haven't seen him since chapter 17. And look, Moses went up into the mountain of God. Now, real quick, real quick, 30 seconds, uh, maybe 45. Um, for those of you guys that grew up in church, did you ever hear of the, the classic Christian uh, phrase, mountaintop experience? Did you guys ever hear this? I mean, I've, I preached like, you know, 100 a youth rally, okay? And so the classic phrase in the late 90s, early 2000s is like, mountaintop experience. Like, I had my mountaintop experience, you know? And I was always somewhat confused by that. Because I was, I was like, what is, like, what does that mean? You know, I mean, there, there's not much air up there on the top of a mountain. You know, like, what, what do you mean by a mountaintop experience? And, and I'm, I'm coming to find out, though there was a lot of air in that mentality, it's that it's quite possible that it's, it's coming back to situations like this. The transfiguration also happens on the top of a, a mountain. So maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe they weren't so silly, okay? He said to the elders, wait here for us. This is what Moses says, verse 14, until we return to you. Do you think any of the elders are like, seriously? Come on. Moses, just this once. Just this once. Listen, I know where you're going, and I know it's going to be awesome. Just this once. Just take us along. God probably won't even notice. We'll hide behind the bush. You know, the same one that was burning. You know, it'll be fine. Um, It'll be fine. Listen. Isn't it unbelievable? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it merciful and gracious that we never have to say that in Christ? Like, we, we always have access, always. Always have access. What the elders say here, in Christ, I always can go to the throne of the Lord. So what happens? He empowers Aaron and her at the end of verse 14. Whoever has a dispute, let him go with them. Uh, let him go to them, which tells you what? Moses knows he's going to be up there for a minute or two, okay? Hey, listen, I'm going up here. I know it's going to be awesome. We're going to need a little structure while I'm gone. You two are now the judges. People got a dispute, they're going to you, okay? Here we go, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Just get this image in your mind. The glory, verse 16, of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Now, here's my assumption in this. My assumption is... It takes Moses six days to get up to where the cloud is. This is a long hike for an old seasoned man. And my contention is, that's why Joshua had to go. Because if Moses is going to take rations for this long journey, it's better going to be on the backs of Joshua than it is on Moses, right? But what does it tell you? Moses knows it's worth a six-day journey. Come on. He knows it's worth a six-day journey. And then, interestingly enough, with all of the Bible uh, numerical system here, and on the what? On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And I'm just telling you right now, Moses knows this voice. He knows this voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Like when they hear it, they know. They know my voice. Moses knows the voice of the Lord. My friends, is God's voice familiar? There's thousands of voices around. Can you pick it out? Of the crowd, it is not always thunderous. Scripture sometimes call us, uh, call it, calls it the still small voice. Okay. 
He calls to Moses on the seventh day in the midst of the cloud. And verse 17 says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel are looking up at the top and they see like fire and blaze and glory. And listen, Moses is right up in the middle of it. Uh, In the transfiguration, kind of something similar happens. And that's why Peter says, should we put up a tent here? Like, this is awesome, you know? Like, let's stay here. And this one unbelievable moment for an old seasoned man, he experiences what the word says here, the glory of God. Can we agree as we uh, wind this thing down here? Can we agree that we say glory a lot and really not even know what it means all the time? We'll say like, man, I just really want God's glory. God, you know, even in our theological statement, we say God's will by God's power for God's glory. And, and often like we're like, okay, is this, like what do if you ever like pin a Christian down, so what is God's glory? Well, you know, it's like, it's like Jesus' fireworks <laughs> meets a tambourine, you know? Like that's, right? Let me describe something to you. Glory is connected to sovereignty. Sovereignty, the premise of sovereignty is kingship. So you've heard it said about rulers and kings, you know, in the world that they're a sovereign king, okay? We say all the time here, God is sovereign. What that means is he's king over all and in all and through all. He rules and he reigns over it all. His kingdom has no bounds, no definitions. He is sovereign. His glory is connected to his sovereignty because his glory means he's not only worthy of his own glory or his own worship, but everybody else's. So when his glory comes down in a cloud, it's his worthiness, it's his need and desire and even the premise of his worship. His glory, yes, at times is hard to define, it's even hard to put words into, but when you connect it to his sovereignty, then all of a sudden it becomes, is he worthy? And the constant answer of the glory of God is, I am worthy of praise. So God's glory is this enveloping nature of his sovereignty that says, I am God and I'm worthy. Over and over and over. So when we say we want to give God glory, what we're saying is, we desire to honor God, give him praise, because he's deserved of praise. Okay? Now, look at what happens here at the end. Check this out. Moses entered the cloud and went up to the mount. Can you picture him like right on the edge of that thing? You know, like, it's kind of like looking back at Joshua. Joshua's like, dude, go for it, man, you know. And all of a sudden he finds himself there. And look at this. And Moses was on the mountain how many? 40 days, 40 nights. There's... One philosophy that uh, breaks down in my quote. Often getting the invite is more valuable than actually showing up. This breaks down. There's one invitation. If you do not accept it, the value of that acceptance is tremendous. There's one invitation that if you deny it, 
Moses accepts the invitation from God to come up the mountain. And I'm telling you right now, he was again reminded that his God was his God. Here's what uh, Jesus says about this invitation. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, look at this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone's thirsty, if you've got any needs, desires at all, you come to me. You come to the well, and what does he say? Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's the invitation. There's only one way to life. That's it. And now the new covenant is in the blood of Jesus. There's no blood that needs to be sprinkled on you. There's no blood that needs to sit on your flesh as a reminder. The blood of Christ once for all has ransomed all of our sins, paid our debt so that we can, out of the overflow of our heart, live like rivers of living water, alive in Christ. And then there is this really interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that affirms and brings all this together. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with what? Come on now. With what? Our hearts sprinkled. You see, we're not just nodding with the head, church. We're nodding with the heart. The heart sprinkled with the blood of Christ. From an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Because of that, we can ascend this distance between us and God through Christ and have unity with them. This is the beautiful invitation that tonight, if you deny it, the reality is, listen, you may say, well, Mark, this is hellfire and brimstone. My friends, if you deny this invitation, if you make covenants, allegiances, pursue covenants with other gods or yourself, all of those covenants will crumble and fall and are built on nothing. The covenant in Christ has already been ratified. It's already been fulfilled. Of Jesus, Scripture says, he fulfilled the old covenant. All of the rules, all of the law, all of the stipulations, he did them perfectly. So that in his blood, you all could stand before God through the lens of Jesus. So I'm asking you tonight, do you receive his invitation? And I know full well that just like my brother Corey, who got baptized earlier, there was a time just like in his life, and maybe now it's for you, where you have been denying the invitation, putting the invitation on the shelf. It's staying on the desk every once in a while. You look at it, and it's a reminder of, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I should, like, rethink about all this. And you've denied it. You've put it off. You're like, mm, maybe someday. I'm telling you today is the day of salvation right now. The invitation is forgiveness of sins. It's an eternity with the Lord. It's life. It's the ability to live in this chaotic world with purpose. And I'm just wondering tonight if some of you need to receive that invitation for the first time. What scripture says is call in the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, not just a nod of the head. And the scripture says you'll be saved. Well, tonight, if that's your desire, or for the rest of us in Christ, guess what? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, guess what we get to do? 
tonight, we get to celebrate. We get to pull off a piece of this bread and we get to dip it in the cup. A part of this ancient covenant meal. And we together get to celebrate what God has done through his blood. And so tonight, this meal is for believers. And as you come up, our elders tonight are going to be serving. As you take a piece of this bread off and as you dip it in the cup, as we together celebrate, listen. May this again be remembrance of the invitation that through Christ you've been able to receive. Or maybe for some of you tonight, this is the first, the first covenant meal you've ever remembered in Christ. The first time you've ever celebrated. No matter where you stand, in Christ we can all approach the throne. And so as we worship and as we respond, may we together celebrate the works of God through his son Jesus. Respond when you're ready, church.